Well, hello church. I'm glad to be with you right now. My name is Will. I'm the lead pastor here. We're one church in multiple locations, and we want to celebrate a very special Sunday right now. We're going to greet everybody in Binghamton and Cortland and Corning. And then church, can we put our hands together and greet everybody joining us in Syracuse, New York right now? Oh my goodness, it's so good to be able to be with you. And I want you to look right at me. I'm going to look right at you. I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart that I love you. I care for you. I've been praying for you. And I believe that this moment is going to be a great moment if you'll surrender your ears and your mind and your heart because God wants to speak to us right now. We are starting out a brand new series today. If you have your notes, you can take those out. We're going to have make sure the ushers come at every location to pass those out. You can follow along with us. Uh, and we're going to be opening in our Bibles to John chapter 1. And we're going to look at the testimony of John about Jesus. And, and in this series, what we're looking to try to do is I want for, for us to discover Jesus. I think it's interesting because I grew up in the church and I, I heard a lot of my friends at school. I'd talk to my friends about who Jesus is. And I had some, some Jewish friends. They had an idea who Jesus was. I had some Catholic friends. They had an idea of who Jesus was. I had some Jehovah's Witness friends. They had an idea who Jesus was. I had Mormon friends. They had an idea of who Jesus was. In fact, my daughter right now has a friend who's at school and, and her friend is Mormon. And I was trying to explain to my daughter there's a difference between Mormon Jesus and Christian Jesus. Now that didn't make her feel good. It didn't feel good to explain, hey, there's a difference. Just because somebody has the same name doesn't make them the same person. Like there could be more than one crystal. I'm married to Crystal, but doesn't mean I have access to every girl named Crystal. That's going to be a problem. My Crystal would not like that. How many wives know that's going to be a problem? How many people know, like, if you have, just because you have the same name doesn't make you the same person. Now, that doesn't feel good, though. It doesn't feel good. So my daughter, I explained all of that. She went and she talked to her friend at school. Her friend at school had never heard such a thing, that the Jesus of the Bible is different than the Jesus found in the Book of Mormon. And those descriptions don't match up. And, and so she was, wasn't the best moment in their relationship. But we need to discover who Jesus is. It's not just that we have different descriptions and different religions and different takes on who Jesus is. It's not like, like in the universalist idea that you could have uh, everybody's actually just talking about the same thing. We're all just like blind travelers touching different parts of the one large elephant. And that we're all somehow just describing the same thing, but different parts of the same thing. I find that to be an interesting idea because the, the question that I have connected to that is how, who gave you the great knowledge that 
you are able to see the whole large thing when all of the other great leaders were only able to see these small portions. And those conf- the ideas that are found in each one of those things are contradictory. So is there some level of truth and, and how do we interact with that truth? Not only do we need to discover truth, but I believe in the person of Jesus. That not only have I had an encounter with truth, but I've had an encounter with a risen Savior. That I don't want to just find who Jesus is empirically. I love in Spanish that there's these two different words to know. You can know something in your head, but you could know something experientially. And that's what I want for us when we're saying we're finding Jesus. I want every one of us to be able to find Jesus. So I want to look all the way back into this moment where we pick up in the book of John because all of Israel had been looking forward to the Messiah. That there had been this promised one in Scripture, Isaiah, and all the minor prophets, and and there was a very clear understanding that there was one coming who would be a Savior. And into that context, Jesus is born, and before Jesus, his cousin John walks around, and he begins telling people, prepare the way. Get ready for Jesus. That if we're going to find Jesus, there's actually some work that we need to do to prepare the way for Jesus. And actually, I have three questions for us today that we're going to find in John's talking that he is using to help to prepare the way. And I want to ask those questions to know, are you ready to find Jesus? So as we look at John, we recognize that there's this moment where everyone's looking for the Savior. They're looking for the Messiah. And yet, they missed him. There's so many that that the Messiah just sailed on past. And I believe it's true today that there can be many people, many of us right in the church, who think we know Jesus. And we've missed him. So here's, this is John's testimony. In John chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Well, that's a pretty good start. I'm just going to pause right there. Because already, we've... We've heard from John that he is not the Messiah. This is the beginning of the gospel. I cannot self-save, and I have no ability to save you. I am not the Messiah, but at the root of humanism, at the root of every idealistic philosophy is that I would put myself on the throne. That the actual conflict that you're going to experience in finding Jesus is found in this statement, I am not the Messiah. 
that if you're looking for Jesus and you're truly searching for the Savior, and you're truly looking for God, you will have to begin with this statement that I am not him. And at conflict, I have found in my own life that I constantly want to take Jesus off the throne and I want to put myself right there. And the, the heart orientation that John has is he has this heart that says, I am not him. Yeah, every time you come into conflict with the teaching of Jesus, that's hard to stomach. It's hard to understand. This idea of God's version of sexuality. Can you cohabitate prior to marriage? Can you have sex with your partner outside of marriage. Pastor Will, how dare you meddle? How dare you talk? Can you do, can I live any way I want to live sexually? Because our culture around us tells us absolutely do whatever you want to do. Whatever you feel like, put yourself on the throne. Live the way you want to live. Do what you want to do. John says, out of the gate, I am not the Messiah. And already we're at odds because I don't want to hear what Jesus has to say if he has to say something about how I want to do things sexually. And that's one topic. We didn't get to money. We didn't get to marriage. We didn't get to child rearing. We didn't get to whether or not there's a he or a she. We didn't get to, we didn't even get to who to vote for or not to vote for or any of these other things. All we did was we said, is there a higher authority than me? Because that's where John starts. There's a higher authority than me. In verse 21, it says this. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you important? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. That God has a voice, God has a calling, and he has a way. It's not any way. In fact, there's preparation that has to happen in my heart in order for me to be able to receive Jesus. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, I have come today, admittedly, to slap around cultural Christianity. That if we're going to find Jesus, there's, there needs to be a voice in the church that says, wake up, church. You are not looking at who you think you are looking at. 
You are not living the way you ought to be living. You are not doing what you ought to be doing. Now, in that voice, the wake-up call, the bell has to be rung because Jesus is the center of my life. But I could tell you all day long, you're not doing what you ought to do, and it will not remedy for you what you ought to do. Because we are all very aware of and very comfortable with what we're doing wrong. And the only way you're going to become uncomfortable with what you're doing wrong is to actually fall in love with Jesus. So while he comes with the truth, he also comes with love. And you'll never move any further in your relationship with God until you fall in love with him and fear him. Now, the Pharisees had been sent questioning him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah? Nor Elijah, nor the prophets. So now the Pharisees do what I think is a, uh, real, you see this all the time in social media, you see it in sectarianism, denominationalism, religious banter. I live in this world. Somebody is going to try to ask some religious question of John because they don't like what he's doing. And they're going to try to get him caught up in some kind of little minutia and detail. They were going to accept it if he said he was one other thing, maybe. They would have found a reason to reject him if he said he was the prophet. Here's what John says. I baptize with water, John replied in verse 26. But among you stands one you do not know. Verse 27, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Verse 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So number one, I want you to write this down in your notes. This is the first question that we have in finding Jesus. Number one, can I recognize Jesus? Can I recognize Jesus? John 1.26 says it like this. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. That actually Jesus was there. Jesus was with them. So my question is, can you recognize Jesus? Not the Jesus, I think, religious people, non-religious people alike, like to use Jesus to justify their own behavior. Jesus is cool. He's like me. He gets me. He understands me. Jesus does it the way I do it. I'm just like Jesus because Jesus is just like me. I like baby Jesus, six pounds, seven ounce baby Jesus. I like party Jesus. He likes to hang out with sinners. I'm in. We just kind of find in Jesus the Jesus we want. 
And, and interestingly, when, with the question, can you recognize Jesus, what I'm actually asking is, do you even know what the Bible says about who Jesus is? Can you define the difference between Jesus of the Bible and Jesus Mormon? Jesus of the Bible and Jesus Jehovah's Witness. Jesus Jehovah's Witness is an archangel. He's not the Son of God. He's not the third person in the Trinity. He's not our Jesus. Do we understand the Trinity? Do we understand the divine nature of who Christ is? Do we understand who Jesus says that he is? Do we understand where he went and what he did and why he did what he did? Have you been in the Word of God studying the Scriptures to know if these things are true? Believer, don't tell me you're a Christian if you don't know Christ. Don't claim cultural affiliation when what you're replicating is a watered-down version of Americanism. Either recognize Jesus for who he is and follow Jesus, not Trump Jesus. Come on, somebody. Trump will lead you into a gutter. He is not a political, he is a political leader, not a religious leader. He will co-opt you, he will mislead you, he'll tell you whatever he needs to tell you in order to get you to do what he wants to do. And as far as much as he lines up with the word of God, I will stand with him. As far as much as he does not, I will rebuke him in Jesus' name. And the same goes for any leader politically. But I feel specifically the church has been misled. And I'll tell you right now, I watch people who are cursing Joe Biden, our president, when the Bible says to honor him and pray for him. And the reverse of that just... A few years ago, people were cursing our president, Donald Trump, when the Bible says to honor him and pray for him. Do we even recognize who Jesus is? What I'm saying is that, that we can say I'm a Christian and have no evidence of Christ. What I'm saying is that that there is the ability to be so focused on and looking at other things. I'm so busy watching CNN because the, Re the Republicans, the conservatives are jacked up. They're evil. Don't watch that Fox News. Watch us. And, and the Fox News people, Newsmax, they're saying how messed up CNN is and how they're all confused. Watch us. Do you see that they are not saying, watch Jesus? It's all a distraction from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They would have us set and, and put a crown on someone's head when the crown belongs on Jesus Christ alone. No king but Jesus. Can I get a good amen? 
Now, you can have a political affiliation. You can have a political point of view because there's no party that represents Christ. I don't have time to get into all the the divisions and, and how all that is, but if you can't recognize it, we can't recognize even who Jesus is. We haven't read the scriptures. We're, we're more familiar with the political arguments than we are with theology. We're more familiar with what our culture is doing than what the Word of God says. We're not able to distinguish the very knowledge of who Jesus is. So and then, and then the question is, how much is Jesus even a part of my life? If you're a Christian, do you spend time with Jesus? I'm here to get us. I'm here to get us. Are we finding Jesus? Is he the day-to-day voice in my life, the apple of my eye, the joy of my day, the bright and morning star? Is Jesus the one that I talk to, the one that I walk with, the one that I consult? Or is Jesus... A name that I claim. Do I have a relationship with Jesus? Do I work for Jesus? Do I love him daily? Do I worship Jesus? Do I walk with Jesus? This is a question, American church. Can we recognize Jesus? I'm saying all of this to say that maybe... Maybe, I'm I'm being very pointed and very vocal and very contentious toward an end that it is possible that you and I have substituted a counterfeit Jesus that maybe we aren't familiar with who Jesus is. And maybe we've been placated with some other thing we're not even hungry for. That we're not, we're satisfied with the slop. We're satisfied. And, and if I eat a little more of this slop and a little more of this slop and a little more of this slop, someday my heart will be filled. We have the bread of life, the living water, the eternal Savior. And he offers us communion with him. At the end of this experience today, we'll partake of communion. And we'll eat bread and we'll drink cup, but all of that is symbolic. Because that issue is, has my heart been filled with? Have I overflowed with? Have Have I burned with? Has he... Has I, have I had an encounter? I want us to distinguish that there is a difference that I can wake up and recognize that's not Jesus and that's not Jesus and that's not Jesus because I want to follow Jesus. I want to find Him in the midst of all of what's going on and I can be in the church building and you can look around the building. I'm going to tell you right now, there's sheep and goats. Some of y'all are goats. And some of y'all are sheep. How do you know? 
Some of us will be easily satisfied. We'll be easily satisfied with. Some of us were still not over what I said earlier. We're not interested in Jesus. And I'm not going to get us all the way there today. I'm just trying to ring the bell. Can I get an amen? Does anybody understand where I'm trying to head? That, that where we're going here is we're trying to say, hey, it's possible that there's something missing. Number two, because some of y'all feel really good, I'm going to ring the bell again. Am I fam- too familiar with Jesus? I think I know him. I'm really, I know all there is to know about Jesus. I read the word. I'm familiar with what the scriptures say. Boy, have I got it together. When I go into a room, I teach about Jesus. I don't just talk. I'm going to tell you when you're wrong about him. I'm going to tell you when things are off about him. Verse 27 This is what John says. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, this is is what is so amazing that you could be in the church and you could have been in the church your whole life. I love the story about Jim Baker. Jim Baker was in prison. And someone came, came to interview him, John Bevere interviewed him while he was in prison. And he said, Jim, when did you stop loving Jesus? Was it seven years before you went to prison when you got caught with in the hotel room having an affair? Was that when you stopped loving Jesus? Or was it when everything was revealed about the financial mishandlings and all the things that were going on. I remember you. You were so passionate about Jesus. You were on fire for Jesus. When did you stop loving Jesus? And Jim Baker said, John, I never stopped loving Jesus. John Bevere's like, wait, what? How could it be that you never stopped loving Jesus? And Jim Baker said this, John, I love Jesus, but I didn't fear God. There are millions of Christians in America who love Jesus but don't fear him. And it's the fear of the Lord that perfects holiness in our life. The Bible's clear around this. If we keep playing with sin, you may not be in. If you look at sin and you wink, you put, the, you put our Lord Savior, Jesus, on the cross. I just wink at it. It's okay. Jesus and I, we like this. He loves me. It doesn't matter what I do. We're we're buddies. I think maybe we got a little too familiar. Because he's coming again, the Bible says the trump will sound, and one will be in a two will be in a field, one will be taken, and one will be left behind. In the twinkling of an eye, when the trumpet sounds, the sheep and the goats will be separated. In a twinkling of the eye, when the trumpet sounds, there will be called up those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. 
And on that day, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do miracles? Like, we got some stuff. We was doing some business. And he's going to look at them and he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Maybe we got a little too familiar with the one who will judge. The one who will sit on the throne. Maybe we got a little too familiar with the one who says, I shed my blood for you. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your temptation, in your war against sin. And yet the depth in the mercy of God's love is unending. It is never ending. But at some point, if you believe that Jesus' death on a cross is licensed to live unbridled, is licensed to live any way you want, is licensed, then maybe we've become too familiar. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 says it like this, So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me though for 40 years they saw what I did. You can be in it. You can be around it. You can be immersed in it. You can have all the language of it. You can have all the history of it. You can have the right pedigree. You can have the right education. You can have all of the right stuff. You can, oh, I did miracles. I proclaimed Jesus. I did all of these wonderful things. I am an amazing Christian. Look how good I am and how crappy you are. And even in preaching this way, I run that risk. And what, what happens is the hardness of heart, we, deter, we discover we're actually more like Pharisees than like Jesus. Here's what hardness of heart does. There's a, there's a diagnosis. You'll have a lack of ability to perceive or grasp ideas that are coming from God. Hardness of heart leads to insensitivity to sin, sinfulness. Hardness of heart is the failure to follow God's commands. God's saying, do this, do this, do this. I don't need to do any of that. He loves me. I'm going to tell you something. You think about this in your own relationship. If you're married, if you have ever been in a proper relationship at all. If you said to your spouse, I love you. And then you proceed to go sleep around with every woman you can find. You think she's going to love you back? She might love you, but she can't be with you. We're the bride of Christ. We say to Jesus, I love you. But then we have idol after idol after idol. And the way the prophets talk about it, you go read it, it's pretty heavy stuff. You're a whore. That's going to show up on somewhere. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Go check it out. 
This is what God calls the unfaithful bride of Christ. Now, in my own relationship with my wife, I would never do that. But the one who died for me, shoot, yeah. He don't need my affiliation. He doesn't need my allegiance. He doesn't need my obedience. I can do what I want when I want. And he's going to wink because he's my boy. You're my boy, Jesus. You got my back. I'm going to run around, do whatever I want to do, and then I'm going to tell Jesus, would you bless me? Bless me, Jesus. Bless me in my sin. Bless me in my adultery. Bless me in my infidelity. Bless me in my homosexuality. Bless me in whatever it is that I want to do. Jesus, I want to go do this over here. I just stole a little bit. I just cheated a little bit. It was just a little bit of envy. It was just a little bit of lies. It was just a little bit of gossip. It was just a little bit of licentiousness. It was just a little, I just do it once a day. It's only a little bit of drinking. It's only a little bit of masturbation. It's only a little bit of porn. I can keep going. Because it's what we say. It's just a little wink, wink. And maybe our hearts have become hard. And what happened to those who, in Hebrews, it says that their hearts were hardened. And and through unbelief, they were not able to enter into the promised land. They were unable to enter. Now, if you do not believe in eternity, if this life is all there is to live, then certainly eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if we believe at all that there is a creator God, and the world is created in his system, in his order, in in the way that he says, and that he sits on the throne, and he determines what is right and what is wrong, and he determines what we can touch and cannot touch. And he said, this is the way, walk ye in it. And he has determined how that is. Then I would say that there is only left the fearful trembling of judgment. It cannot be that we've become too familiar. And and that is a scary place to be because the hardness of heart will tell you in your arrogance and your pride, you'll be offended easily at everyone else's sin and overlook your own. You'll be resentful when you're corrected. And you'll lack the ability to forgive others, but you'll want all the forgiveness. And you'll want no one to address you, and you'll want no one to correct you because arrogance and pride sits on the throne. And at the same time, I'll be unable to hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Will, that's not the way. Will, you got to die. Will, you got to let go. Will, you got to get off the throne. Will, there's a, there's a Savior still for you. 
Will, there's one who gave his life for you. Will, there's one who died for you. Will, would you repent? Would you lay down your life? Would you take up your cross and follow me? Jesus is calling. And I find my own hard heart keeps me from the Jesus that I profess, the Jesus that I proclaim, and I become familiar with the things of God, but I do not repent. And over time, my heart gets hard, and I don't want to hear. I want to wink. And so it leads me to the last question. Will I accept Jesus? Will I accept Jesus? John chapter 1, verse 29. We're going to wrap it up right here. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. Because what I will find in all of my wickedness and all of my error and all of my ways, Jesus is still pursuing me. Jesus is still pursuing you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He'll never quit on you. He will never stop loving you. He'll never give up on you. He is always at work redeeming you. He's always at work. But we, our job is to say, okay, I'm going to take myself off the throne one more time. I'm going to surrender one more time. I'm going to just, I'm going to accept the redeeming love of the Lamb of God. John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would it be one more time that I could discover the fear of God and in that same moment discover the love of God? In that same moment discover the Savior who is, the Bible says that His eyes will shine bright. That He's radiant. He's going to come on the clouds. He's going to have a host with Him. The sword's going to proceed out of his mouth, the double-edged sword. That Jesus is the slain lamb. That when we see in heaven, we'll see his blood. We'll see the lamb. We'll see the lion. We'll see in Jesus majesty. We'll see in Jesus that which is beyond anything that we could ever imagine. We'll see in Jesus love. We'll see in Jesus mercy. We'll see in Jesus all that we could ever hope to find. And in that moment, in that place, what will keep us is not our own ability. It's not our own self-righteousness. It's not anything other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that I receive unto myself by faith. His shed blood. His covering for my life. And I won't mishandle it. I won't get familiar with it. I have to work hard, not for salvation, but in sanctification. I'm going to tell you right now, it should terrify you that that if you think that you are saved, but you haven't the fruit, the reverence, the awe, the love, the joy, the peace. Maybe there used to be a time when we would say, you need to tarry till you have the witness, the breakthrough. We get used to cultural Christianity. I come, I go, I did my thing, I served. I set up the chairs, I 
made the coffee. I'm a good Christian. And I go live any way I want to. But I did something good for Jesus on Sunday. I'm just offering that maybe, maybe we need to find Jesus again. Bow your heads with me, close your eyes. Jesus, I pray that as we respond, that you would convict us of sin. You draw us near one more time. That God, our, our lives, the tomfoolery, the foolishness, cares of this life, all of our schedule, everything that we think is important in this moment now would fall. Eternity hangs in the balance, not only for us, but every lukewarm, every blinded, disabled Christian. Keeping us from fulfilling your commands, our culture, our happiness with what we see around us, all of these distractions keeping us from you. Lord Jesus, I pray you put a new hunger in us, a new thirst to find you one more time. In Jesus' name, amen.